This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. What is going on? It is a special Sunday edition of Sports Bar Radio as we get you ready for the Vancouver Canucks and the Anaheim Ducks final game of a three-game road trip that so far has been a mitigated disaster. Two straight games where they've given up a touchdown and the extra point. And right now, a lot of fans trying to figure out just what the hell is going on. Me too. That's why I'm here on a Sunday in the rain, trying to figure out what my mental psyche is heading into the final game of this three-game. Are they going to fire Jim Benning if they lose today? Are they going to fire Travis Green? There's just so many things going on. Is this team finally going to respond in a way where we can take our foot off the gas pedal if it's time for a complete reshuffle of the deck? I've got one person that every once in a while I call on and I'm like, you know what? I need you in this moment because you will decipher this better than anybody. She is a former guest on TSN 1040's Rob Fay Nation Radio. She was the co-host of The Clipboard, a show that both her and I did. And now she joins me on Sports Bar Radio. Let me get you to Samantha Chang, today's headliner. The game heads to the break, and just as you get ready to call the waitress over for your next round, the lights go down, the music stops, and the DJ looks around like the power just went out. Suddenly, a spotlight shines to the front of the bar, and the doors open. No way! The headliner has arrived. Samantha Chang, obviously broadcasting this on a Sunday, broadcasting just hours before the Canucks finish up a quick road trip down in California slash Nevada. If they lose today, do changes happen? Good afternoon, by the way. Good afternoon. Um, Isn't the question like, why haven't the changes happened already? Walk me through the process of the end of last year. My logic says the reason Francesco didn't make a move then was money. But then they extended Travis. Jim kind of fandangled his way to buy himself a couple extra months. But I think we all knew that if it picked up where it was last year, that that 20-game mark was kind of be the buffer between, okay, well, we made the right decision or we do have to pull the parachute at some point. We are right there mathematically. And I got to think that if things don't get better quick, there's a problem here. I mean, I think we've been saying for some time now that there is a problem here I- I can't explain to you why Travis Green was given an extension. And like, you know, I've been a big Travis Green supporter, but it's been five years of Green, eight years of Benning. Like the Canucks have had two winning records in that entire period. I don't know how many chances you can give someone to show you the exact same results over and over again. Jim Benning has not fired Travis. Travis has been able to kind of skate, as you said, for five seasons now. Who's holding the axe and where does the axe fall? I think the axe has to fall on the GM at this point. Like the roster is what it is. Like, sure, the forward group has on paper gotten better. This is supposedly one of the best forward groups we've had since 2011. But for whatever reason, it's a forward group that can't perform together. Like that's not even getting into the blue line. And I I accept when people say, well, you know, OEL has been pretty good. Myers has been pretty good. Yeah, they've been pretty good relative to what you would expect of them. They've been pretty good as shutdown defensemen, but I don't see how anyone looks at that blue line, whether it was over the summer or now, and thinks that that's a competitive blue line in the NHL. Like, this is not a well-constructed roster. It hasn't been ever. You combine that with Travis could be coaching his ass off, and he isn't. Like, to be clear, I don't think he's doing a good job either. I think he may have lost the room. 
But even if he did, I'm not convinced that they would actually be that much more competitive. And so to me, that's, that's a GM issue. Like it's a construction issue. He's the one who's maybe it's the owner who's not letting him do it. But in that case, what's your purpose as a GM anyway? I was fooled. As you've seen on Twitter, I thought that this offseason actually bared some fruit. I thought there was something there, but you're right. You hit the nail right on the head. It's all on paper. And I think now that you've had a bit of a runway here to see the first part of this season, you sit back and you're like, man, this is the same song and dance. He had a better offseason. Like, I, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, he had a terrible offseason. But the problem is, I, I think our expectations are skewed so low. Like, you expect him to have such a bad offseason that when he has an okay offseason, you're suddenly like, oh, he had a great offseason and you're expecting all these changes. But it's like, it, that's in a va- that's all relative to what he's done before. And if you actually look at it, it's like, yeah, he made some good moves, but he lost Nate Schmidt. Was it really that good or was it just good relative to like how bad he was before? I said this a couple of months ago and I got absolutely ripped for saying it. And then Corey Hirsch last night on the postgame show on Sportsnet 650 said the exact same thing. He goes, there's a problem in the room. And he identifies it as a player or two that specifically are cancers within that locker room. Won't name names. He's got to fly with these guys, so it makes sense to me. But could you make the case right now that a couple of quick moves by getting the quote-unquote cancers out of the room solves this problem at this point? Maybe. I don't think it's limited to just that. I just think that maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just super negative. I've hit the point where it's like, this isn't working. Whether or not it's one or two guys now, It hasn't been one or two guys in the locker room for the last seven or eight years. Like this is a problem that goes way beyond that. Maybe you get rid of those cancers and they turn it around and they have like a decent season. But at the end of the day, I still don't know what the plan is. I still don't know (laughs) what's happening here. You know, I, I think of it if I was in my work and all of a sudden the two quote unquote cancers were removed. I think everybody would look at each other and be relieved and probably be a little happier to go to work, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a better organization as a result of it. So I think the problem that I face right now as a fan, and that's essentially what I am at the end of the day, is I don't see the light. I don't see the direction. You hit on it just before I start talking here, that the plan is still so vague. It's still so throw mud at the wall that as a fan right now, I just don't know how I can support this team. I mean, sure, they get bombed 7-1. Sure, they lose last night after having a 2-0 lead. Like, it's different songs, but it's the same dance steps. But I sit to myself and I say, okay, what's my actual breaking point here? When do I finally turn the TV off and just say, screw it? Just depends how much tolerance you have for misery. (laughs) The Sedins came in and Everybody talked about the fact that they were going to rub off on the younger players and they were going to bring this kind of magic twinkle dust into the situation. I would seen them, saw a picture of them in a newspaper at Abbotsford once, but I, I just don't know. You have two of the most revered guys in the entire history of that organization. They're nowhere to be seen. Is that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I just, I don't think there are any quick fixes. Like I don't, I don't care who you bring in. I think at this point, they're so far off what they've been trying to sell us for the last few years about like, Oh, they're a bubble team. They're going to be contenders. They're going to like regularly make the playoffs in two years. They're going to be a real contender. They're so far off from that. I I think even if you fire Benning and Travis green at this point, it's not very realistic to think that's just going to turn itself around. Like whoever comes in is going to have to figure out how to get them out of this hole that they've been put in. And that's just, that's unfortunately going to take time. There's no magic to it. I know there's only 32 of those jobs in the NHL and that anytime one of them opens up, it's an absolute no brainer, but I got to think some potential GMs would look at Vancouver's situation and be like, 
I'm not sure I want to jump in and take that. I mean, anybody would take an opportunity to run the team. But when you look at Vancouver as a destination, how appealing is it to a potential general manager? I think it depends how badly you want it. Like, obviously, it's a tough market. I think it's tough for a reason. I don't think it's it's a Canadian market. I would have a lot of questions about uh, how much autonomy you actually get from the owner. I think that that for me would be probably a bigger issue than the fan base. I would love to read Trevor Linden's mind because he's been in the room. Yeah. Somebody tweeted me just the other day. I don't think it's the first time I've seen it, but what if they told Benning to punt and focused on Linden's recommendations and Linden's advice? How different would this team be? I'm not saying I'm all in on Trevor Linden because I've never seen him in that role, but the the what if game is so amazing. I still, Sam, to this conversation, don't know what John Weisbrod does. And if Jim Benning gets fired right now, is he not the interim GM? I'm telling you, there's something in the water there. But uh, is he is he essentially the interim until they could figure out what the hell they're doing? God, I hope not. But that's probably what's going to happen. I, I think if anyone's going to be interim, it should be Chris Gear. But ah, what do you make of that situation? Okay, let's let's play the hypothetical here. Jim Benning doesn't make it into the month of January. Hypothetically, how would you keep this team afloat? Ideally, the guy I actually want to see them hire is the assistant GM in Colorado. Chris McFarland, that's that's who I want to see. Somebody who hasn't had a chance yet. Somebody who has done a lot of really good work managing cap and putting together a roster in the last couple of years. I don't know that they go with an interim. I don't know if Francesco Aquilini is the type to just fire someone and then kind of figure it out. I think he generally will have somebody in mind and somebody lined up to take over. I, I don't think they go with an interim and see how that goes. Every time that somebody's come in that has a, quote, personality or a little abrasiveness to that, they don't last. Like John Tortorella in out. And you can say that for about four different reasons, but I don't think he's a Francesco guy. I don't think Trevor Linden was a Francesco guy. Like everybody that pushes back finds their way to the back of the school bus. And it's just, I think he wants yes, guys. I think that's half the reason at one point he had a new coach, new GM, and a new president all at the same time. That era was the beginning of the spiral for me. There was no just, experience there. He should just install himself as the GM. <laughs> oh, like the Jerry Jones of the, that would be yeah. awesome and awful at the same time. I just hope he keeps live tweeting it. Oh God. Sam, let's, let's broaden our horizons here because there's been a lot. It's been so long since we've talked, man. I know. I really appreciate this. You were very vocal on social media and I, I looked at every tweet. I know you got a ton of followers. I want to circle back very quickly on the Blackhawks. Not to try and get clicks here in this conversation, but because I kind of want to get it from a person that I think had their finger on the pulse of this pretty well. The problems right now with that situation is it's been a couple of weeks and it's died down immensely. You know that you're the big front page news until something else front page hits and then you kind of fade to black. How do we keep this situation from fading to black and what do we take away from that situation? I think it's died down a bit relative to kind of peak attention after Kyle Beach's interview with Rick Westhead. The good thing is there are a lot of fans who are still rightfully keeping attention on this and focusing on it and following up. I think the disappointing thing is we saw in in kind of the week right around Kyle Beach's interview, we saw a lot of mainstream hockey media with these kind of self-flagellating, oh, I should have should have been asking more questions, should have focused on the story more. I'm ashamed of myself. And then it's just kind of that's that's been the part that's kind of vanished. It's like, oh, they spent a week talking about this. And, you know, I, I think my sense is they've kind of been content to uh, with a few exceptions. I think they've 
largely been content to let Rick Westhead continue driving the bus on that. And like part of that is rightfully so. It's the story he's been chasing down. He is the person who's been telling that story, I think, the best other than maybe Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers from The Athletic. At the same time, I think you're right. I think people have been very content to go back to just what's the next hockey storyline. And I think that is disappointing because obviously there's still a lot going on. Like Rick Westhead reported this week, they're not close to settling. Like the two sides are still quite far apart. There's still the Blackhawks are apparently asking for a stay for 60 days so they can try to resolve things. And like there are, there are a lot of things still going on. There's just been no follow-up. It's like, okay, Gary Bettman gave this atrocious press conference. No follow-up. The (laughs) Winnipeg Jets give this conference where like, they're like, yeah, we're not firing Kevin Day off. Like we accept that he didn't know, notwithstanding all the weird discrepancies in this story. And it's just like, everyone's like, okay, yeah, they like, they gave these press conferences and like, that's that. And it's just, it's bizarre. It is a very weird, weird situation that like people seem to be able to just look away. I find when I look back at that situation as it kind of hit its apex that there were a lot of people that were like, oh, shit. And now I got to find a way to save face, like whether it was the Blackhawks, whether it was the commissioner's office, whether it was the media. I mean, I think it was fair to question the media. The media skates a lot. And sometimes I sit back and I'm like, you want to be an insider. You want to be a guy that we trust as like a bona fide true source. Then you got to report the shit just as much as you report the good stuff. And I found that in that moment, you, you said it perfectly. You're like, oh, everybody came around and, you know, did their obligatory. Oh, I should have asked this. I should have asked that. Obviously, they're not going to lose their job over it, but their credibility has to take a hit with certain fan bases because listen, man, there's no way that even if you didn't know the Kyle Beach situation, that you don't know that this doesn't go on in hockey. But the problem is, if you go out on that, you lose your contacts, you lose your ins, you can't get those other stories that you probably want. Like I kept asking, where's the agent in all of this? Like, where's this guy's representation? Like, are they just there to do contracts and make sure that the guy can get tickets to you too? Or are they there for the dirty stuff as well? Yeah. And you, you know, you see Alan Walsh kind of asking the same questions and you kind of think, well, like if he had an agent like Alan Walsh, would it have been different? Hard to say. Alan Walsh is in a unique position where he's clearly moving. He's still a great agent, but he's clearly moving into a much more public facing role for, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, But I think there were a lot of balls dropped by pretty much everyone involved. I think there are still reporters out there who are doing a good job of following up. Like, I don't know if you saw this morning, um, Patrick Johnson had in one of his pieces, he spoke to Antoine Roussel to follow up on the comments he made about John Taves being a good hockey leader, but not like a good human. Roussel basically doubled down. He was like, yeah, hockey culture teaches us to not have empathy. That needs to change. And he basically called Taves out again and said that he would have been better off saying nothing rather than saying what he did and defending his friends and was like, you know, this is not the time for friendship when, when this is what's happened. And I think we need to see more of that, this willingness to follow up with players who have actually spoken up in a helpful and thoughtful way. I'd be really curious to know what today's culture is, because I know it's changed when social media came to the prominence. I'm actually old enough to remember when there wasn't the social media element and reporters were kind of the one conduit between the fan base and the players themselves. Do you think the culture shifted to more individualism now that social media is there. Like nobody has the backs of the players and the coaches the way that they used to, because before you could kind of slip through the cracks because you knew that information wasn't going to be made public. Now everything becomes public at some point, like whether it's emails from John Gruden 10 years ago, 
or something that happened with Rob Babcock or something like it's all going to come out in the wash. Would that not be enough of a startling revelation for you to say, maybe I shouldn't be that guy the way that I probably could have been 20, 30 years ago? I've been thinking about this a lot the last few weeks. I think it's really interesting that in the context of um, the Utica situation where the Utica social media tweeted at Cole Caulfield and there was like mm-hmm. the whole thing about whether or not that's acceptable. Um, and his dad came out and said he was being bullied. I was thinking about how infrequently NHL players actually use their own social media platforms to engage with each other and to to engage with fans as opposed to like the NBA. Like you look at the NBA starting in like 2017, 2018 and when NBA Twitter really took off and you had like players fully engaging in beef online and fans love it. Like there's an entertainment value to it other than what's on the court or on the ice. And the NHL just doesn't get it. They're like, oh, that's a distraction. Like that's a distraction. That's not a way to grow the game. And I think the NBA has proved them wrong, like conclusively proved them wrong. People want to see that personality and they're for whatever reason, whatever the conformity aspect of hockey culture is and like not wanting to be a distraction and putting the team first. I think that's kind of a barrier to them thinking about it that way dude the Jokic brothers coming out saying we're watching your back (laughs) it was amazing yeah Yeah, you're right the NBA is kind of at the forefront you don't see that that much in football but even in baseball now you're starting to see the Marcus Stroman's of the world the Noah Syndergaard's of the world call out other players which I guess from a fan's perspective is pretty cool even though it goes against the old adage Sam never let him see a sweat but that's 2021 in the world that we live in before we wrap up And by the way, I have a lot of the listeners here that are huge fans of yours. They're always like, did you see Sam's tweet? I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) But that's only because you call people to the carpet. You're not afraid to go toe-to-toe with people. So for those people who maybe know you through Twitter, but maybe haven't had a chance to hear you and you and I interact, do you like picking those fights or do you do it because blank? It kind of depends on the day. There's like no formula to it. I think sometimes I just... There are some tweets that it's just a compl- it's a reaction. Like I I see something and it really annoys me and I just have to correct someone or disagree with them. Maybe not necessarily correct. The best is when I get the the thing that says I have a friend Jason and he's like a huge fan. He goes, "Did you see what she tweeted? She is all I need, and I know who he's <laughs> referring to." Just so you know, that's <laughs> that's where we're at. But it's it's awesome, and I love that you've got this kind of voice within Canuck Nation where you can be like ah ah ah. Because I think a lot of people stay generic, stay in the shallow water. Because, you know, if you go into the deep water, then you better be able to back it up. I just love the fact that you're not not afraid, man. You go right at it. It's nice to see that there's people out there that aren't just swear words and hot takes, that there's somebody that can actually back it up with something articulate and something that makes a little bit of sense. So I, I, mean, the I thing salute is, you. I'm actually, people are like, well, like, you just don't like when people disagree with you. I'm like, I actually don't care if you disagree with me, if you can like, back it up with something but like you can't just go out there and be like and say something that is like oh the the Canucks have been I can't think of something without like making it clear that I'm thinking about somebody specific but like you can literally google stats before you tweet something like you can fact check yourself before you just assert something it's not that hard and I really wish people would do it well it's a fun follow for sure and I think we should do this much more often. I'm going to post this so that people can get excited about the Canucks before their game today at Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the right person for getting you excited about the Canucks at this point. This would have been the worst official Canucks pregame show in Canuck history, but it would have been awesome. Yeah, exactly. Sam, let us do this again, man. Sounds good. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. 
Equity Guru. Investment information for millennials and madmen.